Hello and welcome to Future Fundamentals, the podcast direct from the Chief Investment Office at Deutsche Bank's International Private Bank that takes a long-term look at investment challenges. And today we're heading out to sea. In fact, we're going to the deep sea to take a closer look at what until now has been the least explored and developed part of the planet. But with that beginning to change, we'll examine the commercial, social and environmental opportunities and the risks of deep sea management. Instead of repeating the mistakes of the past, we need to find and develop far better solutions so that we don't even have to touch the deep sea for short-term profit and need to think about mid to long-term sustainable development. Right now, it's just a hundred companies that account for the majority of the profit in our world seas. And that's actually a pretty special opportunity to bring a small ecosystem of corporate actors together to chart a path, which is not just creating economic benefit for one year, two years, but maximizing that economic benefit for the next 50 years or 100 years. So we've taken on quite a challenge, I think. But fortunately, we have two people perfectly placed to help us. Marcus Muller is the global head of the chief investment office at Deutsche Bank International Private Bank. As an economist, he focuses on social and economic transformations and what we can learn from them about ESG and why the deep sea is linked to that. And Doug McCauley is a professor of ocean science at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and is the director of the Benioff Ocean Initiative, an applied ocean research centre based at University of California, Santa Barbara's Marine Science Institute. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to both of you. Uh, Marcus, perhaps I could uh, start with you and ask, ask you to explain what we mean by the deep sea. Yeah, thank you very much, Guy. And also, uh, welcome, Doug. Really a pleasure being with you both on, on this uh, nice podcast. So, the deep sea um, is usually defined as a realm below 200 meters. So, um, it's a world of extremes. Temperatures near the seabed in many places hover near zero degrees centigrade. And there is next to no light and the uh, pressures can exceed 1000 bars. So which is an equivalent to having a couple of elephants standing on your big toe. If you think about this, this is really extraordinary. But it's also important to say that still this is such an extraordinary part of our planet. Um, life thrives in this area. So the deep sea contains a vast array of ecosystems. Um, that researchers have barely begun to study. And Marcus, you know, you're, you're a wealth manager, that you're, you're an economist, that's your job. But why, why something like the deep sea? Why, why is that such a focus for you? Let me put it this way. The oceans and especially the deep sea is the last untouched or more or less untouched frontier market of this world. And um, with having really a huge need um, for a sustainable transformation of our societies and economies, discussion around exploration of the deep sea are arising. And now we need urgently to discuss whether it's a good or bad idea. And on the other side also, why the deep sea is so important for combating climate change. And last but not least, I called it the... Um, um, Robert Louis Stevenson's effect, or if you also want to say the treasure island effect. So people go in search of treasure, death and misery, 
all around. Um, I think there is a big risk if we do it wrongly. So therefore, it's important that we talk about this now. And and that thus the importance to investors and, and, and not just people with an active interest like you. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Doug, from, from your point of view, you know, in, in, this is your area, this is your field. It must be quite nice to, have, to, to hear an economist uh, excited about it. Well, indeed, I am excited that uh, there are more people looking at and thinking about this future, Marcus, that you described, a busier ocean um, and a whole lot of opportunity to come out of a space that's becoming more economically active and getting um, more out of that the right way. What I think is we could be included in that conversation and that description of the deep sea is, is just that, the ecological importance of that space. So there is a rich array of species. I sort of think of myself hovering at that 200 meter mark that you just described, Marcus, looking down out of a portal into the blackness below me where light isn't penetrating. And, and you know, of course, that section below us, that deep ocean is 95% of the living space on a planet. So it's rich with all kinds of these amazing species, but they're ecologically important. They serve an important role. They serve an important role for carbon cycling and carbon sequestration in our oceans. What, what is in the deep ocean does not stay in the ocean, deep ocean, which is to say that uh, some of the largest, the what many people argue is the largest migration on life on our planet actually transits across that boundary. You have this huge mass of life that moves from the deep up into shallow, into shallow waters um, every single day, carrying and moving, vectoring energy and nutrients across that boundary. So this um, entire system that we're talking about that's becoming more busy, has more economic activity, is deeply interconnected. Um, now, again, um, species connecting that space and then the functions that arise from that species, from thinking about carbon sequestration to thinking about nutrient transport to thinking about um, uh, fisheries um, that, again, depend on that life that comes up and down like a yo-yo across that space. So it's a highly interconnected space that we're just getting to know um, and is full of some really exciting um, opportunities and, and exciting discoveries, too. And does... You know, you talk about uh, the, the light not penetrating and the. you made it sound really cold, actually. I rather, it was a rather brilliant description, but it sort of gave me the shivers slightly. Does life operate differently down there? It absolutely does. Because that space in the deep ocean is so physically weird, which is probably the best way to put it, that high pressure we described, those low temperatures, it means that life effectively moves at a slower pace. Now, life moves down there, and in fact, there's a rich portfolio of life down there, and weird and interesting things. Take, for example, Casper octopus, this beautiful white octopus down there that has become an internet celebrity because of its cuteness and uniqueness. There, is a, there are jewel-like corals, a gold coral, for example, that lives on these under mountain, underwater mountains that we described a moment ago, that is, in fact, the oldest living animal on the planet. You have an individual colony of corals that was born and has been alive since the Great Pyramids. So despite the fact that um, it is inhospitable on many axes for you and I, it's a rich ecosystem, a rich habitat and home for a whole array of very important and very special and unique species. Yeah. I mean, it does sound amazing, Marcus, and, and it sounds sort of extraordinary and wonderful and something that we shouldn't really touch, I guess. But but what's happening down there now in terms of, you know, we're talking about exploration and, and, and the like. 
what is what what human activity is happening down there now? Yeah, so currently not much, but it is in discussion, and the discussion, as I already have hinted to, um, stems from the need for um, commodities, um, rare metals. To um, which are needed for the sustainable transformation on land, because we need batteries, we need solar cells, etc. And what you can find um, in the deep sea are nodules um, which look like a potato and which contain out of iron, nickel, copper, cobalt, and manganese. And on the other side, you also have on the um, underwater mountains a crust of cobalt. It's also the question of antibiotics, right? Um, because a main threat currently to mankind is the resistance of um, bacteria to antibiotics. And we can, based on these old creatures we have on the deep sea, based on their, yeah, on, on their constitution, we can develop maybe new antibiotics, which we can use for treatments of diseases where the known antibiotics are not any more impactful. It's a natural drift then towards the next frontier market to the deep sea to exploit this. But this bears, of course, a huge risk. And we should really, as economists and investors, learn out of um, previous um, transformations like industrial revolution, but also like the um, how we exploit the terrestrial world. Instead of repeating the mistakes of the past, we need to find and develop far better solutions so that we don't even have to touch the deep sea for short-term profit and need to think about mid to long-term long sustainable development. It's kind of an exercise of contrast when we think about this frontier space. And I love the way that you've described it as a frontier space that's eroding because we have this really interesting and really exciting blue industrial revolution creeping up on the threshold of this space that humanity and our human enterprise has not really found its way into yet. Um, so the exercise in contrast being that we have one industry that you described, deep sea mining, which has all of these potential uh, challenging ecological and, and even economic externalities that could be created if we, if we pull the trigger on this. We can create plumes, for example, in deep ocean mining where you're bringing up all of the sediment and while you're mining these um, deep ocean sections that have never been um, mined before, they're full of this rich um, and very sensitive life. These plumes from the mining activity can transit up, as we said, across this deep ocean to shallow water boundaries, carrying toxins with them, disrupting life where we have billion dollar tuna fisheries. We lose those unique species, um, some that we know, like the gold corals, some that we'll never know because the deep ocean is a space that's so exciting because when scientists go down there, we have some of the highest rates of species discovery. You're seeing species that are brand new to science at levels that are unlike any other part of our planet. We can contrast that economic activity to the second economic activity that you highlighted for us, Marcus, which is um, searching for genetic resources. Just as you said, a species is effectively like a little tiny startup which has this huge R&D lab right which is yes. innovating to problem solve I like you know yeah. and, and like you know trying to fight off 
bacteria or for that matter trying to innovate how to create energy in a low light condition a million different challenges that we can learn from the products that are effectively what's coming out of that R&D lab written aboard this species is being coded in this DNA so as we look in that genetic code we can unlock some of that experimentation that's literally been happening for free for millions of years last but not least three billion people are highly dependent on the on the world on the nutritions coming from from the oceans and um, this is something really really what we need to preserve and and to protect so how do we do that both of you how, you know and you've talked about this being you know another in like an industrial revolution and, you know all the previous ones we've managed to make a right mess of you know in the end uh, by you know the damage we've done how do we stop the same thing happening and yet still do the good stuff i think the key to that is data i think actually if we could have gone back in a time machine to the beginning of the industrial revolution and had all of the data that we have right now for the ocean understanding where our resources are understanding more about how pollutants travel in the oceans understanding um you know all things from top to bottom using sensing um sensing intel from outer space to sensing intel from underwater drones we could have done that um industrial revolution on land better smarter and more sustainable now we have this data that we're literally you know swimming in in the oceans that allow us to actually have this second industrial revolution happen smarter more sustainable to get more from the oceans to get it in a healthier way yeah but there's, there's a massive difference between data and knowledge isn't there you know and and and, and the, the getting from data to knowledge involves lots and lots of things it involves organizing involves having it but then organizing it and then having it in the right hands right absolutely so if i may just chime in i i would agree to to what what that absolutely rightly said and also to support what you have asked guy um, and i think if when i started to to engage with the topic of oceans and deep sea i came across a couple of words i've never heard before just to repeat some it's benthic zone or hedel zone or the abyssal um, um, plane and so on and so no one will understand this so a we need a new language a new vernacular of describing what's what's going on there what is there and why this is important so this is a first part so we need a language we need education and then we need to understand the contribution of it so um, there is in social science and economics a new subject which is is, is kind of called contributive justice how treat we something so the contribution of an individual to economy how treat how can we treat oceans um, deep sea in regards to its contribution to our life and this is something what we then based on our understanding our of the new language have to show and with this people who are never have thought about deep sea will suddenly start to understand what it means and then we can define standards metrics develop project pipelines um, innovate financial instruments um, mobilize public and private capital for protection and also for um, for developing the um, blue economy but all in a sustainable manner and and this is something which is really huge undertaking but it needs for me um, not a discussion which goes in the direction of um, the usage of an exclusive economic zone because some parts of the oceans are an exclusive economic zone around the countries 
but the oceans are public goods. Therefore, I think this is so important and we also as Deutsche Bank are happy that we have joined Aura, so the Ocean Resilient and Risk Action Alliance to really have impact in this, in this context and to go into this direction and to have these meaningful discussions with experts like Duck. And um, this is really something where we can play, a, where we are part of the solution, right? One thing if I can just add is just that I think it's actually tractable to have this conversation in part because of where we are right now with the size of the blue economy. I think we're here together talking about this because of the projected explosive growth in the size of the blue economy. But right now, it's just 100 companies, 100 companies in the world that account for the majority of the profit in our world sees. And that's actually, in many ways, a pretty special opportunity to bring a small ecosystem of corporate actors together, of business actors together, um, from shipping to marine energy to thinking about uh, undersea cable infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. Bring them all together and have this conversation to chart a path that um, takes us closer to that future that you described, Marcus, which is not just creating economic benefit for one year, two years, but maximizing that economic benefit for the next 50 years or 100 years by building a higher IQ, long-term sustainable ocean economy that gets us the most from the ocean without harming it, with harming it even less. Let's make, let's, let's actually throw down the gauntlet to take more and harm it less. In a way, this is, this is an amazing conversation because you know, there's so much richness and understanding amongst you two, but in a way it's kind of it sort of it makes my heart sink a little in the, the there's so much to do yeah the stuff you're talking about Marcus in terms of just the language let alone getting countries or companies nations and uh, 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 whole regions to collaborate on this stuff it, it's an enormous ask isn't it it is but isn't it also exciting to do this and to to learn out of the past and do something like this right and say we have protected the last frontier market of this world and we've we've um, we've used it as a tool to combat climate change and to support social stability um, i think this is really a great endeavor which the society of the 21st century is worth to do yeah and doug are you are you more optimistic about the 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 the, the challenges than, than i than i appear to be well i tend to be optimistic on this one and and not only am I optimistic, but I actually think there's some very present moments that are coming up. For example, a moment that's being um, negotiated right now within the United Nations, um, which is a new treaty for the high seas. And that's that vast space that you described beyond exclusive economic zones, which amounts to about two thirds of our global ocean, where we're trying to, for the first time, do what we're here talking about, um, at least in part, which is to come up with a treaty or a set of new um, international regulations to fill gaps in governance, to think about trying to avoid this, um, uh, you know, tragedy of the commons where everyone is using and sprinting to use more than their neighbor because they're afraid their neighbor is going to take more from the high seas, and to finally create a more just, um, a more sustainable, and a, a frankly more intelligent policy framework for the high seas. So. I'm optimistic that we're talking about this now in uh, some of our highest level um, centers of governance. Um, maybe check in with me in a, a year and we'll see if my optimism plays out. But it's at least exciting that we're coming together to have this conversation, not just in a podcast, but uh, um, in real decision making centers. 
Well, that seems like a, a, a sensible place to draw this conversation to a close. Although I think we could probably talk talk for many hours uh, about this topic, and maybe we will uh, in the future. And I, I'm glad that both of you, Marcus and, and Doug, are slightly more optimistic about the, the future than perhaps I I appeared at first. If all that's done is whetted your appetite for more information, you can find plenty at uh, this website, Deutsche Wealth. Dot com. Uh, that's it, as I say, for this uh, episode. Marcus, thank you very much to you. And Doug, thank you to you as well uh, for being part of this. And thank you for listening. Uh, and see you next time. This podcast may be considered marketing material. The value of an investment can fall as well as rise, and you might not get back the amount you originally invested. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Deutsche Bank. The services described in this podcast are provided by Deutsche Bank AG or by its subsidiaries and or affiliates in accordance with appropriate local legislation and regulation. Deutsche Bank AG is subject to comprehensive supervision by the European Central Bank, ECB, by Germany's Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, BaFin, and by Germany's Central Bank, Deutsche Bundesbank. Brokerage services in the United States are offered through Deutsche Bank Securities Incorporated, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor which conducts investment banking and securities activities in the United States. Deutsche Bank Securities Incorporated is a member of FINRA, NYSE and SIPC. Lending and banking services in the United States are offered through Deutsche Bank Trust Company Americas, member FDIC and other members of the Deutsche Bank Group. The product, services, information and or materials referred to within this podcast may not be available for residents of certain jurisdictions. Copyright 2021, Deutsche Bank AG and or its subsidiaries. All rights reserved. This podcast may not be used, reproduced, copied or modified without the written consent of Deutsche Bank AG.